Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. So let's read from James chapter 3 as we continue our series. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. But we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. Or take ships in as example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Welcome, Luke. Thank you, Lockie. Well, today, as has already been mentioned, we're up to chapter 3 in the book of James in a series we've called Five Chapters that could change your life. Five chapters that could change your life. Uh, Each week in this series has a theme. In week one, we looked at the theme of trials in life, which is something we all go through at different times. Uh, Week two, last week, Pastor Graham talked about um, being alive. And today, week three, we're talking about the power of the tongue. And today's topic is certainly one that could change our lives because in many ways, the words we use will determine the direction of our lives. Now, our tongues are a very small part in our body. If you look at your tongue today, you probably can't look at it. Maybe you can look at the tongue of the next door neighbor this morning. But our tongues are very small. Uh, They're kind of ugly, but they're certainly very important. We use them every day. And if you lose your tongue, life gets a lot more difficult. To demonstrate this today, I want you to grab your tongue and turn to the person next to you and say, good morning. Good morning, we hope that you enjoyed church this morning. 
you realize that the tongue is a very small part, but it's very, very important. And the way we use our words can actually have a great impact in our lives. Going all the way back to James chapter 1, verse 26, James said these words. He said, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Let me read that again. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. They're pretty direct words from James and today uh, some of my words will sound very direct but I want to guarantee you that I've had to actually tone down some of James' words in chapter 3 because he is uh, very, very direct when he comes to this particular issue. He doesn't mince his words. He doesn't beat around the bush. He's more like a sledgehammer. It's like bang. He's a sledgehammer when he talks about our words. And maybe that's what's needed, because this area of words is critical and can shape our lives. Now, my guess is today that many of us struggle in this particular area of life. And if we do struggle in this area of life, I think as we read James's words today, we will immediately feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you today, if you feel that conviction, not to push that away or discount it or to think of someone else that this message would be good for. But I want you to think about that and actually um, consider it because I think it's worth considering. Because when we talk about change for growth, this could be the area that God is challenged some of us most of Sorry, most of us to change in this particular year. So let me say that again. When we talk about change for growth, this could be the area God is most challenging some of us this year. And really, probably it's all of us at various levels. And I think James touches on this in verse 2. He says, we all stumble in many ways. How true is that? We all stumble in many ways. But then he goes on to say, anyone who is never at fault. Is there anyone here who's never at fault? Okay, no hands, very good. In what they say is perfect. Is there anyone here who's perfect? Oh, I thought Kim was raising her hands, but she was just scratching her glasses. Phew! You're perfect in our household, darling, I promise. And so if you're not perfect, if you stumble in many ways, uh, anyone here able to keep their whole body in check all the time? Okay, there's been no hands today. So what does that tell us? What James is saying this morning is actually very relevant for every person here today. The way we use our words is critical, and I don't want to get too close to the edge of this stage today because it's a long way down there, so I might just stay back here a little bit. But we all stumble in many ways, and the area, one area we often fall short in is the way we use our words. And so the first thing I want to say today is this, that your tongue is directing your life. Your tongue is directing your life. That's an important thing to understand. In verses 3 and 4, James uses two examples of this, and he uses the example of a horse with a bit in its mouth and a giant ship that is directed by a small rudder. Now, when we first moved to the Pakenham area, we had to find a school for our kids, for our daughters at that stage. Lenny didn't exist. And so we looked around at different schools, and one of the schools we really liked was Cairo Christian School. And at that particular time, Adele, our oldest daughter, was interested in horse riding, and it just so happened that they had a horse riding program. And so that kind of sold it for us. Now, I think when, you know, you've got a daughter and they say they're interested in horse riding, it's like every parent's worst nightmare, isn't it? Because you think, my goodness, it's going to cost a fortune, you're going to have to take out another mortgage, it's kind of dangerous. And so if you're a parent here and you've got a daughter who says, I want to do horse riding, here's a little bit of advice. Just simply say these words. No. <laughs> Stop horsing around. We're not doing that, okay? There's no horse riding. Um, I wish we had have used those words. 
uh, but we didn't. So learn from our mistakes. And so we settled on Cairo and Adele joined the horse riding program. And at the time, she probably weighed around about 50 kilos. And an average horse weighs anywhere between 500 and 1,000 kilos. And so when you look at that, the equation isn't good. When you see a little girl get on, bit, on top of a big horse, it's a little bit scary as a parent. And you would think that that horse, if it's had a bad day, you know, if it hasn't had enough hay and it goes nay and it hasn't had a bad day and decides that it's going to take off, there's really nothing you can do. Uh, you think, my, my daughter's going to go from being Adele from Pakenham to Adele from Snowy River because by the time the horse stops, it's going to be miles away. And so you think, man, this little girl on a big horse is not a good equation. But something amazing happens when you put a bit in a horse's mouth. A little bit in a horse's mouth and you hand the reins to that little girl and she can completely control a horse that's up to 500 to 1,000 kilos in weight. It's amazing. That little bit will direct. If you pull on one rein or the other, you can direct that horse. It's the same with boats. James uses this example. And I've got to say, I think those massive cruise ships are pretty awesome things. Last weekend, I was away with a bunch of friends for my 40th birthday, and um, one of my friends was telling me that recently he went on a cruise, one of those huge cruises. And they were out in the middle of the sea, it was a seven-day cruise, and they got news that a cyclone was coming. Now, that sounds pretty scary, doesn't it? And so they had to take the long way around. And so a cyclone can be a scary thing, but my friend was absolutely stoked because they got three extra days with the all-you-can-eat buffet for free. And so he said, praise God for the cyclone. That was wonderful. And so we got three extra days out on this ship. But when I look at those, those massive ships, they boggle my mind for a couple of reasons. Number one, they actually stay afloat with tons of weight. They actually stay above water. That's an incredible thing. Uh, that's a great... Uh, you know, um, feet to get a boat to stay above water like that. But the second thing that staggers me is that even in the roughest weather, with all that weight on board, with thousands of people and restaurants and swimming pools and cabins and gyms all on deck, those massive ships are still steered by a very small rudder wherever the captain wants to go. And so you have a large horse and you have a massive ship and both of those vessels can be steered by a very small part. James is demonstrating that it's exactly the same with our tongue. Your tongue is directing your life. Verse 5 tells us that it's a small part of the body, but it has a great impact on our lives. You know, a lot of people kind of consider their lives and they wonder why their life has worked out the way that it has. And you hear all sorts of things over time. Some people say, well, it's my background. I've ended up where I am because of my background. It's my parents' fault. It's something that happened to me when I was young. It was a lack of opportunities. It's my family tree. All my family's like this. It's where I was born. And all those things can be a factor. There's no doubt about that. But I think the truth is that your life and my life has been shaped just as profoundly by the words we speak. I wonder this week if you were to do an inventory of your words. If you were to write down every word you spoke in the next seven days... And you record them on either side of the ledger, either positive or negative. I wonder which side of the ledger you would come out on. Now, I realize most people won't write it down this week, but it is a mental note that you could make this week. And if your words are primarily negative, critical, or divisive, if they are angry, discouraging, gossip, slander, and whinging, then there's no doubt it will have shaped where you are presently at in your life. It will have impacted your friendships, if you have any. And it would have affected your experience of life in a counterproductive way. There's a good chance if most of your words are negative, 
then it would have sucked most of the joy out of your life. It would have impacted your expectations for the future, and no doubt it will have affected your faith. Now, the good news is that the same is true on the positive side of the ledger. And the other good news is that it can turn around. And so if you're primarily negative, it can actually change through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life so that your words become primarily positive. And so if your words are primarily positive and encouraging and uplifting, if they are joyful and grateful and kind, if they are used to bring unity, it will be obvious in your life. You're likely to have a good group of friends because people like that are attractive. You're likely to have a positive expectation of life in the future and you're likely to have a strong faith in God. Now, here's the truth. Nobody enjoys hanging out with a person who's always negative. Nobody leaves a conversation encouraged by someone who's always gossiping. But they're attracted to people who use their words in ways that would glorify God and build other people's lives. And so if you find after your inventory this week that you sway more towards the negative than you do towards the positive, don't be discouraged because now at least you're self-aware. You understand there's an issue. You might remember the last week of Vision Month. I I preached a message called Don't Forget the Cat. Remember that? Consider. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Assess. That requires humility. Take action. That requires discipline. And so maybe this is an area that God's speaking to some of us today. And so don't be discouraged. See this year as a life-changing opportunity to change for growth. It might require repentance, Definitely require humility and effort. You'll need God's help, but the trajectory of your life could completely change if this particular part of your life was to alter. The reality is that we all have a choice. A choice to make on how we use our words. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says, In the tongue is the power of life and death. In the tongue is the power of life and death. You know, I think the hardest time to tame our tongues is in the trials of life. Talked about this week one. Uh, Also in the difficulties of life and certainly in the conflicts of life. And I think in those particular times we can come up with all the excuses in the world to justify our words in those times. We say, oh yeah, but you don't know what she said. Oh yeah, but you don't know what he did. Yeah, but you don't know what it's like. And for me that just sounds like a whole lot of big buts. Now I want to encourage you today just to ignore the big butts and take responsibility because we all have a choice. We all have a choice on how we're going to use our words. We can't control how people will treat us. But we all have the freedom to choose how we respond. How we respond with our actions and our words. And that choice will actually determine our path towards joy or misery, love or hate, brokenness or healing, reconciliation, life, or death. I read a story recently about a guy called Viktor Frankl. Some of you may have heard of this guy. He was a doctor specializing in neurology and pre-World War II was very successful at treating people prone to suicide. In 1942, he along with his wife and family were carried off to a concentration camp. During Frankl's time in the concentration camp, he experienced some of the most horrific things you can ever experience in life things that are beyond our imagination. His possessions were taken. He was robbed of basic human dignities. He was tortured in many different occasions, in many different ways. His wife, most painfully, and his family were all murdered or died during that experience. And he never knew if the next day would be his last. And he was angry. And you can understand, if anyone's got an excuse to be angry 
at someone who's done something to him, then Viktor Frankl would be one person who had every right to be angry about what had happened. There was an incredible injustice that was taking place. We could understand the way that he was feeling. But one night, cold, naked and alone, in a small room, Frankl began to realise that there were things that the Nazis could never take away from him. Listen to his words. He said, We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts, comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. He called it the last of the human freedoms or freedom of choice. And even though the Nazis subjected him to the most cruel and unjust things imaginable, he still had the freedom to choose how we would respond. Now, he's written a book called um, Man's Search for Meaning. And he talks about the gap between the stimulus and our response. The stimulus and our response. So the stimulus is what happens to us. And that is so often beyond our control. That's the stimulus. But the response is how we respond to what somebody has done to us. And he talks about the freedom of choice that exists between the stimulus and the response. And he says what we do in this particular time between stimulus and response will actually shape whether we live lives of bondage or lives of freedom. What happens in between that space will shape your life. And so when something happens to you, when somebody does something that hurts you, you have a choice. You can respond to those hurtful things by doing hurtful things of your own. You can use your words to belittle, to criticize, to accuse. You can get mean and angry and manipulative. You can get revenge. Who here feels like getting revenge when someone does the wrong thing? Just me. Pray for me, please. But sometimes I just want to get revenge. I want to show them. I want to prove that I'm right and you're wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. And you can do that and you can win the argument, but you can lose the relationship. And that's a tragedy for a group of people who are called by God to be agents of reconciliation. In that place of freedom between the stimulus and response, you can make a different choice. Andy Stanley says we can choose to be right, we can choose to be right at one another, or we can choose to be right with one another. Humility says we is more important than me. And so we could choose something different in that gap. We could choose to respond with forgiveness and grace. We could choose humility and self-control. We could choose words that are gentle and kind. We could pick up a can of petrol and we could pour on the flames and blow that whole thing up. Or we could take a bucket of water and we could pour on the flames and we could douse that flame. We could choose to be a mature Christian. Proverbs 15.1 says a gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. You could choose to own your part in the conflict. You could choose to apply the gospel of Jesus. You could choose to respond like Viktor Frankl. Even better than that, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you could choose to be like Jesus, who prayed as he hung on a cross after being beaten, humiliated, and spat upon. He said, Father, forgive them. That's the power of the gospel, that we have been forgiven in Christ. Jesus pours his forgiveness into our lives. On the cross, he died for our sins so that they can be taken away. And he pours that forgiveness into our lives, not to hoard it for ourselves, but to give it to other people in our lives who also don't deserve it because we don't deserve to be forgiven in the first place. 
That's the power of the gospel. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. And by this, the world will know that we are his disciples by the way we love one another. I want to tell you today, the devil hates a healthy community. The devil hates a healthy community. And Follow has been a very healthy church for the first three and a half years. And the devil hates that. And he's going to try everything he can to get in, to cause division, to use your words to, to wound people and hurt people. I want to encourage you today, don't let him in. Be aware of his schemes and fight against it with the power of the gospel that causes us to rise up and be the people of God who live with forgiveness and grace. Life and death are in the power of our tongues. And so you choose, but know this, that your tongue is directing your life and it's shaping your future. The tongue is a little part that has a great impact. The second thing today is that your tongue can be used for both good and evil. Our tongues can be used for both good and evil. I've got a couple of, I've got a volunteer today that I'm going to invite up now, but I'm going to, while he's coming up, I want you to look at the screen. Verse 9 says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, it's a wonderful thing to do, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? No. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? No. Or a grapevine bear figs? No. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. The tongue can be used for both good and evil. Now, most of us are aware Billy Graham died last year, but in his lifetime, he was universally admired for his ability to communicate the gospel with his words. Billy Graham was a righteous man, and what rolled off his tongue at his rallies was so effective that God used his gift to lead millions of people to faith. The tongue is a little part that has a great impact. Life is in the power of the tongue. Come over here with me for a second, buddy. On the other side of the coin, you've got someone like Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler was an evil man. During World War II, Hitler managed to brainwash a nation to heartlessly support a regime as they murdered six million Jews, wiping out two-thirds of all Jewish people in Europe, including 1.1 million children. And when you say it like that, it beggars belief. And so how did he do that? Well, very similar to the way that Hitler, the way that Billy Graham used words, but in the opposite way. He did it through the power of his words. He was a brilliant oral communicator. The tongue is a little part that has a great impact and death is also found in the power of the tongue. Now we all know here that you don't need to be Billy Graham or Adolf Hitler to use your words in powerful ways, either positively or negatively. Your tongue can be used for good or evil. It can be constructive or destructive. It can build or it can destroy. So today... Um, Tony went a lot quicker than I thought he would, but he has been able, while you have been looking at that, to construct a tower that's at nearly my height. And, and he did that. It took a few, you know, a couple of minutes to do that. But I've got another volunteer. This is Lenny. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. <laughs> he is up here today. And he's got another task to do today, which I know that he's brilliant at because I've seen him do it before. He's almost a semi-professional in this. And what I've asked him to do is to tear down that tower as quickly as he can. Are you ready to go? All right, so you go over there. And this took a, you know, a few minutes to build. And so Lenny's now, his job is to tear it down as quick as he can. Give him a big push. 
One more. Awesome. Great job, mate. Well done. Thank you very much. Right, father like son. Which one took longer? To build or to tear down? It's much easier to build than it is, much easier to tear down than it is to build. Anyone can tear something down, but it takes deliberate effort to build something up. And so we had a fully grown adult here taking a few minutes to build, and then we had a young child coming, and in just a second, he could push it down. And I want to say this morning, it's exactly the same with our words. Exactly the same with our words. We sometimes think if someone um, you know, says one discouraging word to me, then I can just get one encouraging word to counteract that. But research shows that it's actually closer to 10. Statistics vary, but psychiatrists have concluded it takes anywhere between 5 to 10 positive comments to overcome the effect of one negative one. 5 to 10 positive comments to overcome the effect of one negative one. And I think experientially we know this to be true. A number of years ago, I was leading a young adult ministry at, at Bayside. And um, we had about 120 regular young adults that would come along to um, our young adult program. And at the end of one year, we decided to put out a survey to get some feedback. And we received back exactly 100 replies. And 98 of the replies were overwhelmingly positive, glowing in praise. But there were two responses that were negative, and one was absolutely brutal. It basically tore down everything that we had a t as a team had worked on that particular year. Now, I knew the person who wrote that feedback, and they were basically a pretty negative, cynical kind of a person, and so it should have been water off a duck's back because 98 out of 100 positive responses, that's a high distinction in feedback, right? That's pretty good. I should have left that exercise incredibly encouraged. But as I lay in bed that night, unable to sleep, guess what I was thinking about? None of the 98 responses that were positive but the two negative responses is all that I could think about. And I think it's very true that our words can be used to tear people down very, very easily. And so what does this tell us? Well, it tells us as Christians, as God's people, we should be spending about 10 times as much time encouraging as we are discouraging. We should be spending, I mean, we all stumble, but we should be spending at least 10 times as much time building up as we are tearing down. Now, none of us are perfect, but it's going to take at least 10 times as much praising as it is cursing to build God's house. Positive words are powerful, but negative words can do so much damage. James uses the example of fire. In verse 5, he says, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and it sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. I told you I'd have to tone down James's words because that right there is brutal. They are very strong words, but I think it's a very current and relevant analogy for us with the recent fires we've had in our region. During the Friday night when the fires commenced, I was dropping the girls off for a youth night, a games night at the church property. And as we stood there on the block of land, there was lightning bolts across the sky. In the distance, you could see lightning flashing. And lightning bolts, we all know, they're kind of instant, aren't they? And then they're gone. They're instant. They flash and then they're gone. But even though they are quick, they actually carry immense heat and power and the potential to cause incredible damage. And so these lightning in the sky was spectacular. It happened for a few seconds. And then we thought, well, that's good. The lightning's over and we can get on with the games tonight. 
But little did we know that those lightning bolts provided a spark. And that spark caused fires. And those fires led to incredible damage. I was down at the local council this week and I heard that 28 houses have been lost in the recent fires. People from our own church were evacuated from their homes. Others have been displaced. Lives were at risk. Animals have suffered and died. And people's lives have been damaged. But it all started with a small spark. Small spark. Black Saturday, February 2009, the worst fires in Victorian history. And the tragic thing about that is that some of those fires were deliberately lit. 173 people lost their lives. What are some of the words we use to describe people who deliberately light fires? Firelighters. What do we call them? We say that they're pyromaniacs. They're criminals. They're troublemakers. They're cowards who deliberately cause damage. Now, what are the words that we use to describe firefighters? Well, it's completely the opposite, isn't it? We look at these people, they're heroes. They're brave. They're selfless. They're people who put out fires and save lives. And so when it comes to our words... The question is, are we firelighters or are we firefighters? Are we firefighters, firelighters or are we firefighters? Do we fan the flames or do we douse the fire? I think sometimes we think in the spare of a moment, you know, we get frustrated and we think, oh, it was just a bad day. I was tired or frustrated and, and we walk away and we think, well, I've moved on now. I'm thinking it's all over now. I got it out. I got my frustration out. But little do we know that our words were like lightning. They were short, they were sharp, they were full of heat, and they caused a spark. And as we walked away dusting off our hands, thinking, oh, well, it's all over now, what we don't understand is that there's now burning out of control a fire damaging others in the process. In this next photo, which is not coming up, take my word for it, in the next photo that's meant to be there, there was a house and all you could see was these flames, and completely engulfed in the flames, there was a house in Bunyip. This fire was, this, this house was completely engulfed in flames. And our hearts break for the people who own that house. But I thought about that image this week. And I thought to myself, how much damage can we do to God's house when we don't tame our tongues? And these last two fires, we see that the fire is out. There's that same house. The fire is now out. It's no longer burning. But the damage is done. And it's going to take years, if ever, to get back to what it was before the fire started. I think this is why God hates gossip. I've been in a church before where it was rampant, where there were constant whispers and hush-hush and secret meetings and no transparency. And so many people were hurt, some of them no longer even follow the Lord. And I want to declare today, we are never going to be that church at follow. We are never going to be that church. We are firefighters. We are not fire lighters. And the only fire that we're going to fan into flames is the fire of the Holy Spirit moving in our midst. And so it takes all of us, all of us to play a part, to guard our tongue, to put a tight rein on our tongue, and to use our words to glorify God and to build others rather than tear people down. And it's going to take a lot more effort and a lot more help from the Holy Spirit to do that because it's a lot easier to tear people down. It can take years to build someone up. It can take second, seconds to tear someone's life apart. So we need to be very, very careful with our words. Instead of the words of the tongue should have three gatekeepers. And the questions that we should ask before we speak is, is it kind? Is it true? 
and is it necessary? As Christians, should we be more encouraging or more discouraging with our words? It's not a trick question. Should we be more encouraging or discouraging with our words? Encouraging, absolutely. Well done, you passed the test. It's not a trick question. We should be the most encouraging, positive, faith-filled people on the planet. Right? As Christians, that's what people should encounter us and they should encounter us and go, wow, those people are so positive, so encouraging, so uplifting. I want to be around them. And more than that, I want to know who are they worshipping? Because there's something different about those people. If we grumble and complain and whinge and criticize and gossip, we're just like everybody else. But when we use our words for God's glory, people go, wow, there's something different about those people. And they'll become more interested in what we believe. Our words are incredibly powerful. It might take years of encouragement to build someone up, but it can take seconds to tear them down. Later this year, we are prayerfully hoping to commence a new facility in Officer. That will be an epicenter of mission and discipleship. And we're really excited about that. I want to say a huge thank you to those that have pledged so far. But won't it be exciting to get to the point where we're watching brick after brick being laid on top of each other as a building is built for us to worship in. Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul describes God's people as being a building. He says the foundation is the prophets and the apostles. He says Jesus is the chief cornerstone that holds that building together. He's the most important part. But in Ephesians 2, verse 21, he says, In him, in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Isn't that amazing? God's joining us together and he's building us as people to be people who are temples of the Holy Spirit who he lives within. That's an incredible privilege. And so I want you to look around today at the people you're surrounded by. And you'll see a bunch of people, nobody here has made it. We're all on a journey. We're all progressing. We're maturing in our faith. We're being transformed to be more like Christ. We're being built together to become this dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So I want to encourage you today, pick up a trowel. Grab hold of a brick. Use your words to be constructive. Because one of the ways God builds his people is through the power of encouragement. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11 says, Therefore... Encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. The tongue can be a destructive tool used for evil, but it can be a powerful tool used for good. Here's an interesting fact that I read recently. The tongue has eight muscles in it. Your tongue has eight muscles in it, and they never, ever wear out. That's a good thing. You know, you can go and kick the footy and you can pull a hamstring, People go, oh, he's pulled a hamstring, he's out for eight weeks. Wouldn't it be good if some people could pull a tongue string? You know, we can all think of people, oh, I've pulled a tongue string. Hallelujah, that's good for you, and that's great for us. But the tongue never wears out. And so it's something that all of us are going to wrestle with every day for the rest of our lives. It's incredible what James says about the tongue. It says, we all stumble in many ways. Verse 8 says, no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. In verse 7 he says, we've been able to tame all sorts of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures, but we can't tame the tongue. Now on the screen, you're going to see the thing that is closest to untamable in this universe. <laughs> this is Darcy the miniature bull terrier. He's gorgeous. I mean, that goes without um, dispute. He's a beautiful looking dog. We all know that. 
Um, and even though he's beautiful, he's stubborn. He's defiant. He has a mind of his own. He has a big heart, a tiny brain, and a massive attitude. Darcy the miniature bull terrier is like our tongue, untamable. So what can we possibly do about it? Well, if we're going to actually get control, if we're going to have a tight rein on our tongue, if it's not tameable, we can't tame the tongue, so we've actually got to go deeper. We've got to go through the throat, down towards the stomach, but stop before we get there at a thing that the Bible calls the heart, the center of our emotions, the center of who we are. Your heart is the key to taming your tongue. Verse 13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. In Proverbs chapter 4, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, because everything else you do flows from it. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. But in Psalm 51, King David, after committing adultery with Bathsheba, cries out to God and he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings out evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus is saying, show me your words and I will show you your heart. Show me your words and I will show you your heart. What you are speaking on a regular basis is actually reflecting your heart. And so if you want to tame the tongue, your heart is the key. And only Jesus can change it. In the Old Testament, God speaks through the prophet Ezekiel to his people. And he makes an extraordinary promise. He says in Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. And be careful to keep my laws. You will be my people. And I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. That incredible promise is fulfilled in the person of Jesus. We can't tame the tongue, but God wants to create in us a pure heart. In Christ, we are a new creation. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And just as he promised, and as we keep in step with the Spirit, what flows from our tongues will direct our lives and it will build up, not destroy. Because it's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. If Christ is alive in you this morning, what's going to flow from your tongue is holiness, righteousness, grace, forgiveness, encouragement, and love. I'm going to invite the worship team up as we close, as I close. I realize that today has been a heavy message, 
But as I said, the passage I am preaching from has been tamed down for this particular message. James uses very, very strong words, and I think they're highly challenging for all of us. When we read a passage like this, it's easy to be defensive. It would be easy to think of others before we turn the mirror on ourselves. But I pray this morning that each of us would continue to change for growth in the way that we use our words, that our words would bring praise to God and would build one another for his glory. The power of life or death is in your tongue. And so choose life. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it's stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.